0: How is everybody? Uh, huh? Uh, it's not my birthday yet. Yeah, we, we had a little celebration of my 40th birthday. I know. Everybody's stunned, right? 40? What? I know. It's not possible. It's not. I mean, but I'm not 40 yet, not till the 12th, but uh, so my jo- joints still feel pretty good, and I can still move around and everything, but I'm, I'm feeling well. Uh, we'll see. I mean, I, did, I have had now in the last two months, I was saying I've had three smoothies. So, you know, that got me from 39 to 40 for sure. There's no doubt about that. Uh, and we'll see how it continues uh, to progress. But uh, I'm not sure where I'm going with all this. But anyways, here we are this morning uh, here to continue on in, in our series. I we're in a series we're calling Growing in Christ. And in this series, it's designed to kind of look into the scriptures and see how we kind of live out, how we grow in our faith, the things that we kind of have studied so far, if you remember. Um, I began this series a few weeks ago uh, discussing really what it means to live a, a worthy life, a, a life worthy of the gospel. And remember, I kind of had uh, going back to Marvel and, and those who were considered worthy to wield uh, Thor's hammer and and all those things, and that we would be deemed worthy of the faith that we have, worthy of the calling to which we've been called to. And and then, Lance, the the following week preached about maturity and and discussing from Colossians 3 this idea of putting on this new self and taking off this old lifestyle, these old, as Dan was even saying, these desires that we have and now having these new desires of delighting ourselves in the things that are in heaven, the things that are above, and not the things of this world. And then during the upper room, Jim was sharing about putting God first in our lives, giving him the first and foremost place in our life and in every area of our lives. So as we grow in Christ, we're looking toward Maturity, we're putting Christ first. We're thinking of the things that are worthy. And then last week, Bill spoke about the freedoms that we have in Christ. Now, he didn't say that we were free to sin, but what he was saying is that we are are free where the Scriptures might not speak completely on an area. He he used the example of of dressing up, right? Some people will dress up and wear ties to church. Some people won't. There's freedom as we live out this gospel in our lives. So these are the things that we define us. These are kind of the overarching themes here as we look to this series of growing in Christ. That worthy life, maturity, putting God first, and freedom in all these areas. And now we're going to kind of have some messages flowing out of these that kind of deal with specific areas in life. Of these areas in life where we put God first. You see, there are areas where we have freedoms. But there are also areas where we don't have freedoms, where God has laid out specific rules for how things should be followed. And it won't always be easy as we look at these. And as we met as a teaching team, uh, Lance reminded us that what is most important is the purpose is that we glorify God in all that we do. That as we live out this worthy life, as we live out this life in maturity, we seek his glory in all that we do. And this is how we grow in Christ. And then if we keep God first, everything else falls into place. Today, as we jump into this series, we're going to be looking at God's design for marriage and how it brings him glory. So as before we join into this, I'm going to open us up with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us here this morning. As we lift up songs of praise and worship to you. Lord, we remember all the blessings that you've given to us, the ways in which you've blessed us in our families and our workplaces, Lord. And we seek to glorify you in all that we do, Lord. Lord, our desire is that we would be more and more like Christ, that we would grow in maturity to be like him, that we wouldn't be self-seeking, seeking our desire, but we would chase after the things of the Lord. Lord, protect us. Lord, guide us in your word as we open it this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said earlier, we're going to look at marriage today. And I was going to say marriage is what brings us here together, but, you know, that's just overdone, right, if you know the movie. So here we are as believers and how we approach marriage, what marriage is in the eyes of God. And to do this properly, we need to go all the way back to the beginning. We need to go back to creation where it all began. Remember, in the beginning, the Scriptures say that there was only God. God the Father, God the Son, and a Trinity existing for all eternity. And then something amazing happens. Creation. Over six days, God speaks and everything comes into existence. And on the sixth day, man is created. In the likeness of God, in his image, mankind reflects God. Adam names all the animals, but as they are passing by, remember, no helper is found for him. And we remember in the creation story, after every day, it says, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. But now, all of a sudden, something wasn't good. And what wasn't good was that man was alone. And he's, God says that he will make a helper For Adam. So Adam falls, remember, into a deep sleep, and then from his side the rib is taken and it is formed Eve. And then comes some important verses that we're going to center on today. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, it says this, "'Therefore man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked,' And we're not ashamed. See, it is within these verses that we see God's plan for marriage. Today we will look at some of the key words in this phrase and also some of the ultimate purposes for marriage. These verses are, are so important when, when we discuss this that Jesus even quotes these same verses when he is talked about marriage in the New Testament. He, he comes back to Genesis and says, "This is the foundation. This is what marriage is." So let's look at some of these words here. The first thing we see is leave. We see here that the man shall leave his father and mother. You see, marriage begins a new family. Notice, though, that it doesn't say that a man leaves his family for his girlfriend or his fiance. There is no leaving until there is a marriage. As believers, we don't live together before marriage. Remember Jesus in John 4 as he is talking with, with the woman at the well, he, he's talking to her and they're, and they're having this conversation about relationships. And, and Jesus says, Look, and, and the man you're with now isn't even your husband. In Hebrews 13:4, it says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexual immoral and the adulteress. You see, the marriage bed is to be kept. Pure before and even during marriage, there is no leaving before the time of marriage. Now, you're saying this only says the man leaves. Well, what it's saying here is that the man leaves to begin this new family. He becomes this head of this household, the one, the spiritual leader who takes on the leadership within this family. There is a new relationship that is begun. And and as the man leaves, he becomes the the center of this new household, a household raised and centered on God and Christ. The next thing we see there is hold fast. Now you've probably, if you've grown up in church, you've you've probably heard the phrase leave and cleave, right? That's kind of how it kind of gets mentioned through uh, as you raised in the church. And and it has this sense of that there's a permanence here. There is a covenant made before God. Scripture says that God hates divorce. Now, Scripture also does speak more about divorce, and divorce, and it is an important topic for us to dis- discuss as we grow in Christ. The good news is that I don't have to cover it today. Jim will have that message in, in a few weeks as we kind of break, down, break it down and really see what is God speak and what is God's desire for these things. So I get to not share too much about that and leave you hanging, and Jim will fill you in on all the great details of that. The next phrase is is maybe one of even more importance. It says, and they shall become one flesh. And here's where everybody in the room gets squeamish. Why? Because for too long the the churches have had a list of, of thou shall not and how sex is a bad thing. And as Scripture is clear, that there is sexual immorality, and, and there is dangers, and we should avoid it in certain contexts. But remember, these verses are, are giving us this, this picture of a pre-sin world. And, and as we think about sex and its true context within marriage, it is a blessing from God. We need to teach that side more often, and, and not be afraid to think and discuss these things. It relates to a time when when there was a a leaving and a cleaving and a right place and time within marriage. Remember, as I said before, the passage from Hebrews. The the marriage bed is a place of honor. The Bible even has a whole book that talks about relationships and how they go. And it's the Song of Solomon. And if you've ever read through Song of Solomon, it's it's a book that Jewish kids weren't even allowed to read until they were 18 years old. So now everybody's going to jump in, in this afternoon gonna read through the book of Song of Solomon. So in that book, in chapter 2, verse 7, it gives warnings about relationships and the that we need to put up. It says, I adjourn you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. There is a time and a place for love to awaken. And this is so important that it quotes it later on, even in 3 5 and 8 4, within those books. It talks about the importance of waiting, that there is a time and a place, and do not awaken it before it is time. But see, also, one flesh is more than just physical, it's becoming one unit, one family, united together with each other. God's design is that they would become one intellectually, emotionally, and physically. You know, in a couple of weeks, Jonathan, he'll preach about this family structure and, and this unity that comes in the structure that lay, God lays out for us in Ephesians, of how these two come together and form this new family unit. Now, we move on to the next phrase, and the next phrase is the one that the culture would rebel against, and it's the phrase, and the man and his wife. And here I say we have the words that will send waves through today's culture. Marriage is between a man and a woman. Not a man and a man or a woman and a woman. God's word clearly defined this. Now, before I go any further, and I can't cover all the details within this, I will share some more, but I wanted to make reference to another message that I gave while we weren't meeting in person. And if you go either through the archives of the FFCSermons.org or on the website, if you go back to May 3rd, 2020. Uh, I gave, during our What We Believe series, a, a very deep uh, discussion upon this and brought up a lot of the things that get mentioned, a lot of the arguments that get mentioned, and, and how, as Christians, we, we can talk about them in an open and a very conversely way out of love and care. So, I want to remember us. Remember, there, there is a big picture here, and this is why I've gone all the way back to the book of Genesis, to creation, to see what God has laid out and what he is instructing for us. You see, we bring him glory and honor as we live out the instructions that he's given to us. And the message of the Bible is clear. The scripture teaches what it teaches, that marriage is a man and a woman. As I said before, Jesus talks about marriage within this context. Paul teaches about this in this context. One cannot read Scripture and come to any conclusion. Now, the important thing is that as we read about these, is compassion needed? Yes. Is care needing to be shown in this area? Absolutely. But even in love, there cannot be acceptance. Sometimes, Ava and Kenzie Do things that go against the rules that we have set as a household. And it is in love and care that we want to put them on the right path. And as we live this out and as we see what God has designed, it's the same thing. We want to give honor and glory to Him in all that we do. Now, the next phrase is another one, and it says, They were naked and not ashamed. See that there was no sin in the world, there was no shame. Sin was not a part of their lives yet. Here we have the perfect marriage. They had nothing to hide from one another. But then we'll see how quickly it will change in the following chapter. So to recap, as we think about what we see here in Genesis chapter 2, we see leaving, we see holding fast, we see becoming one, man and woman, and then we see no shame. But as we read throughout the book of Genesis 2 and in this chapter, we see even some some purposes, some meaning behind marriage. And now the first one I have here is procreation. And before I get into that, I want to say this is one that, depending on the commentary, it's actually kind of debated if this is a purpose within marriage. But, But I thought it was worth sharing for us. Because one thing is clear: that God has a plan and a purpose for his creation. One of the instructions that God will give to Adam and even to Noah is to be fruitful and multiply. And I want to be careful here because this isn't the only purpose within marriage. And there's oftentimes, there's many struggles within this issue. So it just doesn't make it this isn't a complete purpose here that your marriage is any less importance or of care. That this is something know that at least that God has designed within the context of marriage, not outside of it. Even as we struggle through these things, there is still a purpose and a context in which it should be happening. Everybody who this command is given to was married. Now, the next thing that we see is complementary. Complimentary. I know, complementary. Thank you. I know, she's still trying to get it. I knew when I was coming, I am like, I better put this thing out because, well, anyways, you see what it says. All right. God saw, remember, that it wasn't good that Adam was alone, that, that man and woman are meant for each other. God saw that he was alone, and it wasn't good. Some commentators, as I was reading this, as Adam, he says, was naming the animals, that maybe he was having them come in pairs similar to the way that they came on to the ark. And and Adam is sitting there naming the animals and and realizing as they're all coming in pairs, that he didn't have a pair, that he was alone, and that God knew that he needed a helper. Now, Scripture points out that as Adam fell into a deep sleep, that a rib was taken from him. and, And from his side, his helper was formed. There's this great, great quote uh, from Matthew Henry who puts it this way. He says, Woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon, but out of his side to be equal with him and under his arm to be protected and near his heart to be beloved. It's a beautiful picture saying he was taken, she was taken from his side. So that they would be side by side with each other, going through life as one unit. And as it talks about Eve being his helper, it's not talking about in a sense of being lower or being thought less of in a lower position. It's actually the same word that God will use to describe himself as the helper of Israel. To be the one who would guide and help His nation, Israel. The term talks about providing what is lacking in another. God created man in such a way that we fulfill each other by helping each other, by fulfilling the plans God has for them. Now, you can probably think within your own marriage, okay, how does my partner complete me? I know as I think about this, I think a lot, I always go towards kind of emotions, And and I don't always tend to think emotionally about things, and and Christy can be helpful in that and and help me to realize maybe I'm not seeing things the way I need to see them. And then for me, I, um, uh, um, I can, I do, I I gotta do something. There's there's probably something that I, anyway, let's move on. Um, There's definitely something, right, as you know. But anyways, but a woman is the perfect match. As they come together and form this this new family, they are complementary to each other. They're, They're thinking about each other. And it's not in that cheesy, like, you complete me type of movie kind of way, right? Oh, that's what we all want, right? Oh, all these things that you think on upon us. But as we reflect on that, we remember that ultimately everything works together for the glory of God. And as they come and they begin this new family, as they leave and they cleave, it becomes something that glorifies God the Father. The next thing that we see, we see a reflection of the image of God and even of Christ and his church. Remember in the creation story, it says that man is created in the image of God and that he created them male and female and he blessed them. And then later on in Ephesians chapter 5, as Paul is writing about this picture of marriage and the family and all, and all these things that are happening here, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Sound familiar? Sound familiar? Okay, you, okay. just making sure you're, you're still with me. It says, This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. There is this love. There is this respect. There is not this domineering over each other within these relationships. You see, because it's a picture of Christ and his church, of a Christ who loved his church so much that he laid down his life for it, that he was willing to die for it. And that's the call for us even as husbands to be willing to lay down our lives for our wives. You see, he loves his church. He loves his body of believers. He'll never leave us. And that's why the unity of marriage is that picture. It reflects the love that Christ has for us. It is meant to be an unbreakable bond. So this is all that marriage means to God. But what happened? Why is the world, why is the things the way that it is today? Well, as I said in Genesis 3, everything changed. In Genesis 3, verse 7, it says, Then both of their eyes were opened, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Remember, they had partaken of the fruit. That's why I avoid fruit all this time. All right, all right. so here it is. They have taken it, and they fall into sin, and now everything has changed. Remember, the, the world that was created through Genesis 2, we don't see it that way. There is a drastic change that has happened. We no longer see the way God has designed it. I mean, just think about the way marriage is shown in today's culture, in TV and in movies. It's not the way it's described in Genesis. We always joke that the, the dads are always seen as this clueless kind of klutz, right? Like all this laughing stock to be laughed at instead of the, the pillar of the family. It, it is sin that leads to, to broken marriages and the redefining of marriage in this culture. It's sad to say, but it definitely something needs to change. Do you you notice that as I've been speaking about this, I haven't been talking a lot about feelings and emotions up until this point. It's important to realize that because that's not what marriage is built upon. Think about this. Think about the success rate within arranged marriages, right? Anybody want an arranged marriage? See, nobody kind of was thinking that way. But, you know, the divorce rate in the United States is between 40 and 50% of marriages will end in divorce. Anybody know the stat for the divorce rate within arranged marriages? Ooh, even lower. 4% in India, where it's estimated that even 90% of marriages are arranged, the divorce rate is only 1%. Now, maybe arranged couples feel more motivated to work through issues and and are more dedicated to each other. They, They develop mutual respect. But also, I think they aren't making decisions. They aren't making rash decisions. They aren't making decisions out of passions or lust to get married. Culture says live with whoever you want, sleep with whoever you want, and it's no wonder that we see the brokenness in the world in Genesis. The biblical model has been ignored. When marriage is not built upon the foundation of Genesis 2, it's not going to work. And as I said before, that's why Jesus, he goes back to this passage. He goes back to talk about these things that are foundational truths for marriage. Sin is destructive. Sin destroys. But if we know the book of the Bible, sin doesn't get victory. That there is good news. That there is an answer. And the answer is Jesus Christ. Maybe you feel that brokenness in your life today. Maybe you've seen how the ways of this world just don't work. Well, there is forgiveness. Remember, I mentioned earlier from John chapter 4, and Jesus having this interaction with someone he has called out and said, look, the person you are with now isn't even your husband. Yes, Jesus confronted her and her sin. But he gave her something better than she ever could need, and it was living water. It was forgiveness, and it was eternal life. Here now, this is John chapter 4, beginning in verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. He reveals himself as the Christ, the Savior of the world. Follow along as it continues into verse 39. It says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay there with them. And he stayed there for two days. And many more believed his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Here it is in her brokenness, a place of shame. Where she's kind of hiding because of the lifestyle that she is living. But Christ comes to her. He has compassion on her. He does call her out for her sin, but then gives her more than she was ever missing. She says, you need this living water. You need me. You need the Christ. And he says, then the whole town almost gets saved. She she hears this good news. She goes and explains all that Christ has ever done, and many are saved. If you find yourself lost in sin today, repent and turn from your sin. If you're not following God's design for relationships and marriage, today is the day to repent and start living for his ways. As we said, remember, this series is about growing in Christ, becoming mature in our faith, putting off our old self, the ways of this world, the ways that our culture has called us to live, but God says, no, as Dan was saying, he was saying, we, we try and keep one foot in both, right? We try and be in the world, and we try and, and be in the church here on Sundays, and it just doesn't work for our lives. We end up chasing after the world. We, we chase after a culture. We chase after the things that God doesn't want in our lives. You know, it's important as we discuss marriage to say, yes, marriage has its place, but Scripture also talks about the understanding of singleness and understanding that God sometimes calls people to something else and understanding that, yes, there is a place for marriage and there is a place for singleness and there is a place to glorify God in all that we do. No matter the circumstance, wherever He has called us, that's where He wants us to be. Now, as we think and reflect on Genesis chapter 2, I thought I would share... You know, a personal journey with marriage. And yes, I got Christie's permission. So here we are. So I want us to think back to my life and take a time back. And as you, many of you know, Christie and I met at Emmaus Bible College in the beautiful corn state of Iowa. Anybody been to Iowa? Yeah, Yeah, I would expect not many. It's all right. I don't take it personally, but it's a great state out there. And if you know, if you've ever been to bridal, oh, I just said it, Bible colleges, they often get the name bridal college. And it's because so many students from those colleges end up getting married. And I think it's because, one, we're just so attractive at those colleges, right? Um, never mind, that was, see when I ab that wasn't good. All right, anyways, but as you go through these things, you're at a Bible college because you're, you're focused on Christ, And I think as you're focused on Christ, he's bringing people into your lives with that same purpose. And you're coming now surrounded by his word and seeking a partner who will come alongside you on that journey. Well, as I said, it was fall 2003, and into my life came Christy. This is where you go, awe. Thank you. All right. However, that was actually not the first time I had seen Christy. And I double-checked with this. Uh, however, the first time I actually saw Christy was the school year before. You know, as you're, you're thinking about going to colleges, you're, you go and visit. And it just so happened that Christy was visiting Emmaus during my sophomore year, and she was sitting in my First Corinthians class with Mr. Leverance, the guy who would actually go on to do our premarital counseling. And it was in that moment where I said, I'm going to marry. No, I'm just kidding. If that's how the story went, it'd be really awesome, right? But that's not how the story went. I just wanted to throw that in there because keep you all hanging. But then my second memory of Christy was when her and her hallmate, this girl Jessica, would uh, I guess they went into each dorm floor, kind of had this giveaway closet. And in this giveaway closet was clothes where people would kind of, she's shaking her head, all oh, no. But anyway, all these things would, would be given away. And at one point for dinner at Emmaus, her and her friend decided to just put on a whole bunch of mixed matched outfits from the giveaway closet and come down to dinner. Here it was, my bride. So... All these things as we were going through these things, and it was later on that my, as I've shared before, it was my friend Jason, who as he was out at the soccer field said, hey, there is a, a girl on the soccer team that I think you would be interested in. And I said, okay. So God was taking us on this journey. And it was the beginning of our journey. A few months Later, as we were in in spring break in Colorado, I can remember us having a conversation of saying, where is this relationship headed? Where, Where are we going? What is the future? And we both knew where we were going, that we wanted to have the destination of marriage with each other. And then, a few months later, Christy can attest to this. I'm almost starting to shake even more just thinking about it. I had one of the most nervous phone conversations in my life. I can remember we, we were sitting in a, in a park in Dubuque, probably having a little Caesar's pizza between us. That's what we did. And I decided it was time to call Christy's dad. Time to call Russ. And he might know where this is heading because I was going to ask him for permission to marry Christy. Oh, gosh, I am still like it. It's like, oh, it was the most nervous I have ever been in my. I didn't even think I would get nervous sharing it, but it is crazy. I didn't think he was gonna say no, of course, but still, it was just nerve wracking. You see, God, what was taking us? Oof, calm down, heart. I could probably check my heart rate as I'm on my phone, but as I'm going through this, and it's this journey, and you know, there's a long more to the story of how then. We were married in May of 2005, and now it's been a 16-year journey of marriage. There's been moves, there's been different jobs, there's two kids now, and it's been a wonderful journey that God has taken us on, as he has provided me for this helper, this one who would come alongside me in marriage, and the perfect opportunity for me to Leave. Right, Mom? Woohoo! I was gone. And cleaving to this new family, beginning this new place, united with the foundation of Christ, as God, as the centerpiece. You know, and I share all that because all of us in this room, you've all had your own journeys in various ways. To reflect on how God has brought you your, your helper, how he's brought you the, the person who comes alongside you in your journey. You see, marriage is its two imperfect people coming together for the purpose of God's glory. You know, in that 16 years, there's been ups, there's been downs, there's been good times, and there's been struggles. That sounds like a great country song coming on. That just popped in my head. But no matter what stage of life we were in, We got through it together because that's the promise that we made to each other, that through it all, Christ would be first. You know, marriage, marriage is hard, and that's why God needs to be the centerpiece. You know, Christy and I had great examples of marriage surrounding us, our parents, our grandparents, our professors at Emmaus who spoke truth into our lives, and then others showing us what marriage is all about. And the most important marriage, as we see in Genesis 2, is the foundation of God, of the way He has designed it to be. He gives it reason. He gives it purpose. See, as we grow in Christ, we align ourselves to His will and His purpose, putting Christ first in everything, even our relationships. Our marriages are to show to this broken world the love of God. The love of Christ shows through our marriages. They see something that is different. As his people live out on his purposes, he sees all that he meant for us to be. As we reflect on this, we think of the brokenness of the world. And we remember the goodness that comes in Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to gather in your name and discuss these hard topics. These topics that don't align with the world around us. But we are called to live differently. We are called to stand out as light in the dark world. Lord, we thank you for the helpers that you have brought into our lives the ones that you have brought alongside us to help us and to guide us and direct us, Lord. Lord, we pray for the marriages here in this room, that that they would be a light that shines upon their heavenly Father. We pray for the relationships in this room, Lord, that they would be honoring to you, Lord. Lord, it's a challenge in this broken world but we know that your Son, Jesus Christ, has overcome this world, and that we find forgiveness in the blood on that cross. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.